1: Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium.
2: Good evening, and welcome to Beach State Pandemonium for Thursday, October 10th, 2019. This is Michael Norris, along with Bobby Simmons.
1: Uh, our co-host Jerry Oates is not available
2: tonight, uh, so it's just the two of us for now, but uh, we will be having some people calling in
1: a little bit here, and we'll,
2: uh,
1: we'll try and do this for the third time, and do
2: our show, looking back at the career of uh, the late Harley race, and, uh, First of all, I'd like to apologize for the first two times we were unable to do it. To our loyal listeners, don't give up on us. We're still here. Uh, next, I, I decided if, if this one didn't go right, I was just going to turn it all over to Charlie Smith and just let him have the whole thing. Change the name from Peace State Pandemonium to Charlie Smith Pandemonium. <laughs>
1: <sighs> well, we're... We're
3: all wearing our black shrouds tonight uh, uh, in mourning for our Atlanta Braves. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but if you're going to go out, go out in style, I guess.
3: Well, they went out setting a record. That's a fact. Yeah. Just uh, just absolutely no rhyme or reason for what happened, but it happened. And, uh, you know, ten runs in the top of the first inning. Joe Simpson said on the radio last night, he said, that would be like going into the finals of the uh, the uh, Stanley Cup and spotting your opponent fifteen goals before you ever before you ever touch the puck.
1: So, That's true.
2: That is true, but
1: uh, like I was saying, I think that
2: uh, you know, all in all, we won ninety seven games, for seven games improvement improvement over last season. Yeah. Uh, we won the division, but nobody picked to win. We we went into first place in early July and never came out of first place. So uh, I just think that uh, you know injuries to Margo and Culberson and C.R.T. Uh, losing uh, Chris Martin in the first game before he ever threw a pitch, and they just you know steady play through injuries and. <clears throat> It just caught up with us and uh but I have no doubt that uh this team's got get a good future. I just hope we can see what they do in the long season and we can retire. Uh so that 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 that's an, that that position, catcher position is someplace that we are desperately needing improvement in. Yep. Um, yeah. Because uh, Cervelli, if, if we if we keep him and uh, ours is, is both of them are, you know, past their prime. Uh, I'd like to see him resign Donaldson, uh, and the talk is that they're they definitely want to. It's just a matter of you know what the free him being a free agent. What what else is he going to get offered? And I think he wants to stay here. Uh and something that nobody really brought up uh during these playoff games is uh you know, we we just signed Mark Akin for just one season. This past
1: round, so I'm not sure.
2: You know, I don't know if if they, if, if they're willing to re sign him, I don't think they would be because we've got two two guys in the uh in the minor leagues, Pate and I can't remember the other kids' name, but uh they're they're pretty much ready. Um to come up and and uh, but I I would love to see Marcakis uh retire and take a position with the Braves as some sort of coach. I just think he's got the he's got the the experience. He's got the he's got the attitude for it. I just think he'd be a, a tremendous coach. But yeah. then who knows? He may want to want to play. But then you know him. Reason he stayed with the Braves and took that price cut is because, uh, right. you know, he's home here
1: yeah. being from
2: Woodstock and his family's here and settled and everything. So, yeah. who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Well, Tehran is another one that, uh, they're going to they're gonna have to look at him. I don't know if he's a free agent or if he's just to the end of his original contract and, and they're looking at, um, the the team option as to whether or not to uh extend yeah. him. But he is so streaky. I mean when he's on he's just tremendous, but when he's off you know.
3: Yep. Well
1: but who knows.
3: But us Atlanta fans always have the Falcons to turn to. I mean they're only one and <laughs> three, so they're 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 flushed. Uh the uh Hawks are just fixing the start or about to start.
2: I'm from the South. They're I've watched their two preseason start. games and They've been okay, but and they've got they've got some impressive uh, rookies, and you know, of course, they've got John Collins and Trey Young, and and uh, Vince is still with them. But uh, uh, they, they, just like last year, they if they could if they could end the game in the third quarter, you know, they they win every game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> huh.
2: At fourth quarter, they just they just wear out and
1: yeah, you know, New
2: Orleans beat them, and then Orlando meet, beat them last night. But uh, and the United, they're in the playoffs. I don't look for them to repeat as, as champions, but they're at least in the playoffs. And
0: uh,
2: my Saints are proving. You know, Drew Brees may not have a job When he comes back, he may be second string. Yeah, they're playing pretty good uh, right now. He's he's been Bridgewater's been impressive, yeah. So, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, well,
3: Atlanta, the Falcons play the Cardinals this week. Who do the Saints play this week?
2: I don't know. No.
3: I haven't. Even, I haven't. I don't. Honestly, I do not keep up with it like I used to, and I, I just uh, it's. <laughs> It's difficult for me to even sit and watch a complete game, but uh, uh you know, sometimes one'll catch my eye. I've been watching more college ball than I have anything. But anyway, welcome to the yeah, Peak State Money about Atlanta Anyway. Uh uh, had a chance to go down a couple of weeks ago to see a card by uh Victory Championship Wrestling. It's a little independent organization that's running Alabama and West Georgia. Uh, My brother-in-law is promoting matches in uh, Franklin, Georgia. He's promoting some matches in uh, uh, LaGrange, Georgia, and a couple other places. Uh, My son's refereeing, and I got a chance to go down and see the matches. And uh, uh, they've got, uh, uh, you know, they all, most of them are, pretty young guys and they're they're you know, they're lear- trying to learn to craft. Uh same same scenario I've seen with any independent show I've went to. Uh the thing they're lacking is psychology. They know how to do it, they just don't know why they're doing it and when to do it. And uh uh I was uh I was pretty impressed with the with the, the, the hard work they put in and uh uh not to mention my grandson's a ring announcer, and he's he's going to major in college next year in journalism. So he's 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 doing this and loves it. So I'm, I just told him, keep dreaming. Who knows? You never know. So uh, we're uh, I was happy to see that first wrestling match I've been to, and I cannot. Well, I went up for that benefit that Bo James did for for uh, Sandy and Don Wright, uh, but uh, this was the first time of my own volition I went to a show. And uh, uh, it was—I was entertained. It was good. Got to see the chick Chick Donovan. He's still
2: still wrestling, <laughs> yeah. sir. the
1: heavyweight champion. Yep,
3: yeah, he's uh, he looks good and uh, still able to, still able to get in there and go. He—I'm uh, uh, not sure how old Chick is, but he he's up there. He's older than me. And, Seventy-two,
2: and I think, is what I've heard.
3: Yeah, I've I've heard that too. I, I'm not sure but uh he can uh he uh he had a pretty good little match with a with a kid there, uh when I was down there and uh, it was good to see Chick. I've known Chick a long time and it was uh it was good to go watch the matches. We took uh we took Randy's grandson with us and we went down there and uh, I I don't think he was as enamored with it or fell in love with it like me and Randy did when we were kids, but uh uh he uh, he did enjoy it. He said he came back home and told his mother. He said it was real. He said I heard them hitting each other <laughs> Cause everybody on the card threw a chop.
2: <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about this more when Les gets on. But I guess if if you are a fan of the current you know style of of professional wrestling, this is the really a heyday you not only you got televised now you got NXT which is the WWE's Farm League uh, the NWA is is uh, what there is of it which is basically owned by Billy Corrigan they're they tape shows here in Atlanta and they're showing them on YouTube uh, and, and it's set up in a small studio atmosphere kind of like TBS was and right. like it was back in the territory days uh, AEW is on on now. New Japan is on. Uh, there's two or three others out there that are and some fairly, I, I guess they're well-known names now. Of course, I'm not familiar with any of them because I don't, I haven't followed the business in ten or fifteen years. But you know, I know Dusty's Son is involved in that AEW, and
3: I watched Kisteria part of their show. On. Have you seen any of their show?
2: No, well, no, I haven't. Um, well, you know, everybody, keeps
3: on. Saying, uh, go ahead. Well, you know, everybody keeps saying we're going back old school. We're going old school. Old school. Well, they don't know what old school is. I mean, what is old school? Yeah. It was just doing the business the way it was supposed to be done, and we all we all made a good living, and we and we performed in front of the same people fifty two weeks a year, and everybody thought they were smart, but they were, but they always had the doubt in the back of their mind. And now everybody knows it's, it's it's a work. And they, you know, I watched part of I watched Cody Rhodes and some guy on TV the other night. Watched about ten minutes of it, and they had a halfway decent match, but they did seventy two false finishes with some of the most
1: yep.
3: horrible. I mean, just crazy stuff. And they kept kicking out at two and a half. Everybody, you know, you know they're going to kick out. And then today, I have, someone sent me the link of the Corrigan thing they did here in Atlanta, or, or a promo for it, or whatever. Uh, I must say I was I was impressed with the look because it did take me back to the day where they had a desk and they had a ring and a studio environment. And uh, but the matches are, you know, there again. Yeah, I
2: I watched. I tried to watch part of one match, and the same thing. You know, 138 false finishes and. You know, and it's just it's the same old thing over and over again. And yeah, you know, yeah. everybody was talking about the NXT, how since Vince is not involved in it, that that uh, Levesque is is running it, that it's it's real old school. I I you know I tried to watch their first program, and I made it through about six minutes of it. Yeah, and even in that, they still hadn't locked up. In that six minutes, it was all talk. It was fireworks. Everybody came out with their own music. It just, you know, it just took me out of it. Yeah. You know, I'd rather just, you know, I'd rather watch old stuff. Like I'm watching uh, Moose Lock. I was serious it was was here, about Moose Tullock and, and Carl Engstrom out of Chicago. in probably sixty-two. I'm watching that now. Yeah. I, I've got it on in the background, and uh, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Wow. It's just. <clears throat> It's like you said, you know, they got the moves right, but they don't know why they're doing it. They they do the moves, but they don't know why they're doing it. I sit with well, Les Thatcher at the doing.
3: at the <laughs> uh, shit, at the Bo James show, and I wish I wish he had been wired, <laughs> Well, people could just hear his comments. You know, I mean, everybody. First of all, somebody needs to realize when you're announced or your music plays, and you come out and run around the ring high fiving people and these people look at you funny, it's because they don't know who you are. I mean, there are no TV stars. You know, they don't, you know, that, they, everybody does the same thing. Uh, Everybody jumps in a ring, jumps up on the second rope, throws their hands up in the air. You know, the heel wants to scream it to people. And, uh, you know, there again, they don't know who they are, so they just sit there and stare back. Uh, It's a, I don't know, they just, Really go well. It's never going back. I mean, that's just the bottom line. It's never going back, and everything today is geared for TV, where our TV was a means to get them into the building. uh, Now TV is their means to make whatever revenue they're going to make. So yeah, that's uh, it's just different animal. I hope they all make a lot of money. I hope they all stay healthy, and uh, you know, me, I'm very happy in this recliner. Talking to you with the TV on in the background.
1: So,
2: you know. (laughs) But I still think there's been enough time passed by if they went back and at least tried to work a match where they actually worked holds and didn't didn't do those high spots and clotheslines and DDTs and all that stuff, choke slams, that it would be different enough. But somebody might sit up and look at it and say, Hey, it might catch somebody's attention.
3: If if you yeah, had you know,
2: the,
3: if the people would people realize to do it. if the baby faces would realize they have to sell in order to get sympathy. And you've got to, and okay. selling is an art. You've got to learn how to do it with your face, with the inflection of your voice, you know. Even even with a sense of frustration when that baby face fights and fights and fights to get out of that hole. And all of a sudden, boom, he's right back in it, whether it's with a hair pull or a, or, or a, a slip on a banana peel or whatever the case may be, you know, you get the people to come up, boom, you take them right back down, and then you fight, fight I mean just it's a lost art. But I told yeah, I agree with you, it, yeah, people would buy it. One of the things I said the other night about the, about the show I saw if and of course, it's not their fault; they don't know, they don't know how, but you know there's nobody to teach them. Uh, and then when you do try to teach them, they don't want to listen. They know more than you know, but uh, the if you could just, promoters today judge their show by how well the fans receive what's going on in the ring. I had one tell me one time, he said, oh, look at all the people. They're happy. They're happy. They're happy, and I said, what difference does it make? <laughs> you know, I said, you're letting them dictate to you. I said, they're actually booking your show because they're dictating to you what you do. I said, you have to dictate to them. And I said, the way you do that is you educate them, just like you're talking with a match. Uh, they might not buy it at first, but if you sell that right, if that that, that match is sold and they, they work that hole and they sell it, people will eventually buy it. And if you think a hammerlock he's don't to the hurt the less? <laughs> what? You think, Les, if you think you think a hammerlock here. don't I hurt, said, let a cop put one on you.
2: No kidding. I said he's preaching hey Les, to the Hey I'm the just choir, preaching you, to Les? the choir,
4: sir. Hey, hey. How's everybody? <laughs> Who uh who's on tonight? This right Bobby, now,
2: it's you and, and Bobby and myself, and George Shire's going to be on with us as soon as he calls in. Jerry was unable to join us tonight, but
1: uh, what we were
2: talking about, I was just saying that, that right now, if you're a fan of what what is currently considered professional wrestling, now's probably a good time because you've got all these different promotions now that actually have television, have some sort of exposure, whether it's you know Corgan's deal on YouTube, and you know, have you seen his show? The show that was taped here in Atlanta.
4: Yeah.
1: What'd you
2: think? Uh, it
4: was okay. I mean, I I can pick it apart if that's what you want. <laughs> uh, but no, it was okay. I mean, I, I have no problem with a studio. So I would I would change. I would put that uh, another bleacher uh, and have a back if i were at that desk i would have them in the uh like in a pish uh, in a v in that back uh, right hand corner so that it looked like there's more people there would not have to be any more but it looked like there's more
1: right uh, yeah uh,
4: but yeah they uh you know it's all and part of it's about quality of the talent and they they have some and then they're lacking in some too you know they sold think, tickets yeah. to get in that studio. Uh, well, they did a
3: hundred dollars okay. for a for a meet and greet to get in early, and then some of them sold for thirty bucks. And then they had very few. I think they let people in if they lined up.
5: But yeah, yeah they
3: they made they made a dollar or two.
4: They wow. were They were recorded
3: yeah, I, at a public broadcasting station here in Atlanta. Yeah,
4: you know I, I wish you well. I just. Mm-hmm. Again, I say, you know, there's. I, I think they tried too much on the first night, and I think uh, putting a world title, you know, to me, you're, you're okay. You're on. Well, you're not actually on television. You're on YouTube or you know or whatever. But uh, you know, some people have never seen you before. They don't know who you are. They, you know, it's, it's going to be new to them. So introduce as much of your best talent without all the angles, and in the title match, you know, the other thing, they announced the hour time limit, and I looked, and I thought, wow, it's an hour show, and they've got 12 minutes, so it's a 12-minute time limit. But, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) well, you know, to me, it's about details. I grew up with details. That was, you know, pounded into my head, you know. Uh, And to me, I would, now, if you're a little bit old school, uh, you know, time remaining. But I wouldn't have put that title match on the first show. I would have built, because here again, uh, unless you're stayed on top of this, uh, who's Tim Storm? Well, he's the next champion. How do I know that if I've never seen him? So take a couple weeks and put up some of those videos up and build it. And, And then when you get there, give them at least half the damn show. I mean, announce it as show long, right? Because you got an hour format.
1: Yeah. yeah. But,
4: you know, let him go, get 30 minutes in. Have your matches standby, uh, you know, to fill the rest of the time. But uh, make So make it mean something. But give them 12 minutes, and they rushed, and they did a nut shot, for Christ's sake. I thought, please. And in the rush, uh, it was uh, Tim gave, gave the shot to, to Nick, and, and Nick, barely sold it I guess because they weren't hurry to get into the finish and I thought oh man this is where you learn to shift gears if that was in, I mean if for if the fact it, we laid a nut shot out in the back if that's the case uh, that's where you should have you could have deleted it and moved to the next level in some manner you know if you were running short on time but I would have given them more time doesn't, doesn't that make sense
2: oh yeah absolutely absolutely
4: well we
3: were you know that, we were ta- we were taught to work a shoot, you know we were taught if you don't yes. believe it yourself, how can anybody else believe it? Well, you know Michael and, or somebody you know these guys have never it's never been real to them like it was to me as a kid i mean i mean i would I would have fought you if you'd have told me that Mario Glenton and Buddy Fuller didn't really hate each other, you know or or yeah, and and didn't hate each other, yeah, I'm sure they do but <laughs> You know, I mean, I just, it was, it's never been real to these guys. It's just, uh, it's all show business, and, and
4: and you're right. They don't think. They just, they don't know. Well, you know, uh, we got into a thing on Facebook today. You know, I, I, I was you hear all the time, yeah, well, back in your day, uh, you guys stayed in a headlock for five minutes, and I said, well, here's, a, solve this head scratcher for me. Yes, we, there were times that we did stay in a, but we also could run, three or four good spots off in that five-minute time and be right back in the headlock. But we were continually moving and stuff. Now I see guys get in uh, the damn figure four and stay for three minutes, and I think, wait a minute, this is something with Buddy Rogers and with Rick. Uh, Somebody's tapping out in 30 seconds. So what am I to believe? Uh, Either the guy putting it on doesn't know how, Or the the guy in it is super uh, the junior Superman. I don't know, but I mean, but you're you're laying there for three minutes. We're moving around for five. What the hell's the difference?
1: Yeah, exactly. And
2: I I don't remember the match. Somebody else preach. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of months ago, I was telling Bobby I watched a match on. uh, I don't know if it was on YouTube or what it was, but it was a title match. It was a, a. Pretty famous match, but I watched the whole match. It went it went twenty something minutes, and they did exactly two high spots the whole time. The rest, sure. Was, well, you know, it's, bowls, it's, mat work, stuff like that. You know. And, well, you and know, it, it and when was, you
4: say people, when you hear that attention span crap, uh, a lot of people watch New Japan. I enjoy watching New Japan, and they have thirty five, forty minute matches. So somebody, I mean. And the people obviously stay tuned and people over here who, you know, who are satisfied with, you know, five or six or seven minute matches with uh, most of the promotions, um, you know, but they'll still go to New Japan to, to actually, you know, watch. And they're closer to being them and NXT, honestly, is more like wrestling as we knew it. Than uh, anybody else, right at this point. See, okay,
2: I guess I'll have to try NXT again because I watched their first official show the other night, and I couldn't tell any difference in that and, and what Vince was doing you oh, know, the last they, time I Adam, him, which was with him ten years ago. I've
4: worked, I've worked with Adam Cole and and uh, uh, Matt, and they, I thought they, well, they now judging both shows, never mind, you know, which is prettier, or whatever. Uh, they won the wrestling portion of last Wednesday night, with, hands down. Matt and Adam tore the house down.
2: Um, well, see, I never uh, even got you – know, I were... watched I watched about six minutes of it, and I couldn't – they never, never even had a match. I turned it off before a match ever started. It was all, you know, fireworks and, you know.
1: Oh, well, yeah. I think the, yeah, the first I didn't...
2: match was, was going to be like four girls coming out, and they all came out and all looked the same. All did the same thing all you know had similar music all ran around and shook hands and I just I, I just couldn't do it I turned it on live time again I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm watching I'm watching a sixty eight year old moose Cholock beat somebody I've never seen before right
1: now
2: he's <laughs> had to have been one of his last matches Bobby, um, they should they I, should I have had
4: uh, they should have had one of us uh you know uh be on the show just because uh, when was the first year you worked there?
3: I started in seventy two.
4: Okay, I got you. I first wrestled uh, when Leo was Booker in sixty six.
3: Well, I you know and well, again I'm, still, not, you know, I'm not. This is this is not trying to be funny. I was a fan. I, I was going to the matches then. I remember those days. I mean, you know, the good old when, days. Yes, when you and Roger was here, and 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 Buddy yeah. Colt was Ron Cowboy Ron Reed, and I mean that. Hey, Friday night was a big deal for me. I mean, I just,
4: yeah, I, I loved it. That was, uh, that was it. the start of the Anderson dynasty throughout yes. the Southeast too. Yes. I remember because uh, uh, Leo uh, it was Kirby and I against uh, Lars and, and Gene. And uh, it was, I had just been in the territory like it was my second week, I think. And, uh, Leo said, look, he said, I don't want you to think I'm, I'm planning on just beating you. He said, but these guys are going to be my next big champion heels and damn if they weren't. And, you know, coming in there, I think they had just been mid card guys for Nick and in, in Nashville before they came in there. And I guess they had been in for Crockett in a short run, but not used really well, but the way Leo put them together with the Torres's and, and, uh, later with uh, the, the wrestling, wrestling one and two, and so forth and so on. Shit, man. I mean, I, but that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was the and start. It, the,
3: you know, the thing was, too, here, you know, they were wrestling heels. I mean, they were heels, but they didn't, you know, it wasn't all chopping meat. They, you know, right. work a, you know, they work a hammerlock or a headlock or work on your shoulder, uh and the Torres brothers, you know, they were they were matinee idols, you know, to all the women, and uh, they they had a run with the Andersons. They had a run with uh, the Vachans. They had Paul. They had the Butcher and Stan in here, and they'd bring Mad Dog in and out, and uh, they had. A, I don't know how long they were here, but they had a pretty good run here.
4: Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I was in. Uh, with Enrique, uh, it was in uh, Kansas City in '63 when Archie, when Stomper uh, first started the gimmick, when Guy and O'Connor first put the Mongo gimmick on him, the Stomper gimmick on him. And, well, I'm uh, glad you yeah. mentioned that
2: because I just I I watched a match here about about an hour ago, and I you you pinpoint. I figured it was between '63 and '66 because. Uh, Lou Fez was brought up as being champion. I know it was during his last run, but it was a, a TV match with the Stomper against spaceman Frank Hickey
1: from Kansas City okay. TV. And
2: sitting in sitting in the audience, doing the fan out of the out of the audience gimmick, was one Douglas Baker, when he was still the Friendly Ox with the horn rimmed glasses and the the, <laughs> yeah. the Del Castro <laughs> hat and the trench coat.
4: I'm trying to think when uh, 63 63 was when I was there. It was from. Damn uh, yeah, it, well, let me let me think here a minute. Uh, from I think August uh, or uh, July, July to, to Christmas, I guess, with a break because I I had a break in between there, but I had to come home because I'd been drafted, and uh, take the physical and everything, but then I went back. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's Archie was just uh, just getting – they just put the gimmick on because I remember the first time I worked with him, he said, you know, he said, I, I only get over if you help me. He said, I'm I'm still not comfortable with this gimmick. And he said, I, I, I've got to kick you in the head, and I'll try not to potato you. I said, well, that's encouraging. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> but, yeah, that was – In this that video, he, he
2: still had hair, and he talked. And he, he didn't wear the the pull-on boots like he wore later on, you know, in Knoxville and all the places he worked. He had on, you know, a pair of lace and boots. And,
4: he but, was, uh, uh, well, you know, Bret Hart says that he was the one wrestler that Bret, when Bret was a kid, he was afraid of, was Archie. And Archie well, was... Uh, I was Arch- afraid of him, and I was Archie a grown was a,
2: man, first time I saw him. He, <laughs>
4: he, was, he was a conditioning nut. I mean, he was. Yeah. Um, he had cardio uh, running out of his ears. He Riding his bicycle uh, was,
3: from Knoxville to Maryville. And then ride his bicycle home after the matches.
4: You ever heard the story about him, uh, a, pr- a prisoner trying to get away from him in Knoxville when he was with the Sheriff's Department?
3: Oh, it don't sound good he, for the
4: prisoner. Well, what it was, <laughs> he was transporting a guy uh, uh, from, I don't know, from the jail to the courthouse, courthouse back to the jail or something. Anyway... Uh, he was, you know, the people there in the jail knew who he was. I mean, because he'd been over TV so much there, so obviously everybody knew who he was. But anyway, uh, it was just him and this one young, this young prisoner. So the prisoner just got so crazy that he was going to, uh, had to go to the bathroom, was going to wet his pants if Archie didn't stop. And Ar- and Archie pulled off to the side of the road and to let the, uh, to let the kid out to, uh, to pay. And the kid took off, running down a hill, and, Ar- and Archie caught him. The kid had long hair. Archie caught him, uh, tackled him, wrapped, uh, wrapped the, 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 took the long hair, wrapped it around his hand, and that's the way he drugged the kid back up to the van. Oh gosh. <laughs> Threw his head in the van. <laughs> but yeah, Archie. He was. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, Archie was a, uh, condition crazy about conditioning. Well, he. I mean, he really. Uh, he was in shape, always stayed in shape, always stayed in shape. He was a nice guy, but, man, he could be like a little old woman sometimes with business, just, I mean, uh, you know, just the wrong, I mean, well, I, him and Dylan, uh, went, where Dylan finally left him somewhere, they were in Texas together, they were in Georgia briefly, and or Florida, I think, but I loved Archie. I mean, we became friends in, in uh Kansas City in 63, and then we were obviously up the Maritimes together in 70, and then uh, Knoxville, and so, you know, yeah, I like, but he would go off at the slightest thing. I, I remember, I don't remember what he got mad about, but on Saturday morning in Knoxville, I was getting ready to go to TV, my phone rings, and I answer it, and it's Archie. and He's he's leaving, he's quitting, he wanted to, Tell me, I, and I—I I forget what it was all about. And I talked him in off the ledge, to, you know, to come to TV. And I said, "We'll get this all straightened out." Um, I don't remember what it was about, but uh, but hell, he was—he uh, was believable. That's for damn sure. And they had him last met, time he was, he was here. to had him with Don Carson. Don managed him. I think Don. Yeah, Don managed him here for a while too. Yeah, he managed to There, in was, a guy,
2: there
4: managed was a in guy who wasn't a, San Antonio. Uh, Don, there was a guy who wasn't a great worker, but could talk his ass off and knew how to get heat. It was Carson? Yeah. I remember the first time I ever yeah, met him. Uh, he MS was over baby too. I'd heard that. I never saw him work as a baby face. He, uh, him, and uh, Dick Dunn worked under the uh, the socks in Nashville when I worked with them there. Uh, but the first time I ever worked we when, when Kirby and I went in for Lee uh, on the Louisiana end, uh, when we left Georgia, when we left Atlanta in at 66 and went, and went down there and I'd never met Don before. Kirby had, uh, had worked with him somewhere. But anyway, um, so we're working a tag with, uh, I don't know who Don, I forget who Don's partner was. And, uh, we're sitting in Kirby and I and, huh? No, not at that time. It wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah. Now I worked. I worked with uh, with young Murdoch. Yes, I did. I'll tell you a story about that in a minute too. But anyway, we were, we were working out the fall finishes for the falls, and uh, anyway, at some point, I was in part of our comeback. I, uh, I was going to end up. I needed to. Uh, get some you know, get over on Carson some way, and I and I suggested I said, Well and we do this and and I can backdrop him And Rock. He said, Oh my God I said, what? He said, You can't backdrop my star. Uh, he said, You try you try to kill kill all the heat. I said, What are you talking about? He said, He can't think of backdrop <laughs> That was Don's working skills. But <laughs> he but he could get over. Now i tell you, uh, Ronnie Carson, that's who we're talking, Dickie Murdoch, when he first started yeah. in the business. Yeah. Uh, they, were working, they were working with Bob Kelly and I in uh, Pensacola TV. And um, the finish, I don't remember what the finish was, but to get into the finish, we were going to have a four-way, and Ronnie or Dickie Murdoch was supposed to slam me. So we get ready to get into the finish, and all four of us go around, and the damn uh, a board breaks on the on the ring, so we got a big gap, and so we're trying to work around it. Of course, Ronnie, who's the green guy, comes and tries to scoop me, and I block him. He's, I'm supposed to slam me. I said, "Not now, you damn fool! <laughs> Not on that damn <laughs> hole!" Huh. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> that was- that was Roddy Carson.
2: Huh. Uh, the end of '66. That, that Carson was may have still been dick. teaming with uh, Carson's partner. In that you talking about in Louisiana? It may have been Max York. Because he and, he and York were the, together before. Yeah, he I and like, uh like he York, and York, York were it. together before. Carson. I mean, before yeah. the, uh Murdoch came in, I like. We're, we're, I like. Your, you mentioned
3: Dunn and uh, Carson uh, working under the hoods in Memphis. I can't remember who told us the story. I think they told it on here one night about uh, uh, they had a woman or a grand. You know, all towns had a granny on the front row, but this one was uh, She'd swing her pocketbook at you, and they said that Carson was out on the floor on a Monday night up there in Memphis, and uh, she uh, she said, "I'm gonna hit you with my pocketbook." And Carson told her, "said Well." If it'll make you feel better, go ahead and hit me. And said, so she took the pocketbook, hit him upside the head. And he said, he asked me, she said, now, do you feel better? So uh, the old man Welch that was the promoter there had some guy on the car lot that was his partner there. And the next Monday night, they went back up to Dunn and Carson and said, look, my partner here wasn't, uh, wasn't here last week. says, how about y'all let that lady hit you with a purse again this week? And so they were out the and did whatever, and Dick Dunn said, Well, you did last week. I'll let her hit me this week. And uh, what they didn't know was old Ben Welch had give the old woman a brick to put in her pocketbook. Oh, my God. And they said he liked to knock Dick Dunn out.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh, well. I don't know why it made me think of what I'm about to tell you when you're telling me that. But, it, well, I'm it, a fan to start with, But having to work with a fan in Alexandria, uh, Louisiana, uh, Kirby and I uh, will work a program with Frank and Jack Dalton or Donnie Fargo and Frank Dalton all around the territory and and, uh, for the uh, NWA United States tag belts. Anyway, uh, we're uh, working in in Alexandria and uh, we're on split falls and go through. And for some reason, the, the referee didn't show up, car traveling or what it was, and the promoter picked his buddy, who was a fan, to be the referee. Oh, my so, God. And so, obviously, we've got to work around it where we can talk in the ring, right, without him hearing us and so forth and so on. So, anyway, we get we split falls. I don't know who took the first one or who took the second one. But, anyway, we split falls and, and we get to 60. And so, uh, you know, the fans, you know, want more and everything. And so, like babyfaces tend to do, Kirby and I asked for five more minutes. The guy gave it to us. <laughs> so, we go five more minutes. And Kirby said, hey – this, this guy is a mark. And I said, yeah. He said, watch. And he said, five, and the guy gave us five more minutes, right? So now <laughs> 60 turns into 70. And I sold Kirby. I said, if you ask again, I'm going to kick your ass. I <laughs> 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 I, I if, if I gave Kirby to ask all night. We just stayed out there all night. He wanted us <laughs> to win. So, Ah, uh, the good old days. <laughs> oh. oh, lordy, lordy, lordy! Well, you, none dead. of you guys I went, went to them. the uh, taping? No I, no, I didn't. I just saw it
3: on, on. Mac McMurray sent me a a link to it. I watched a little bit of it on
4: on the computer today. Yeah, I I watched it. Uh, uh, I I my browser it wouldn't YouTube wouldn't let because of my browser and and. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who's smarter about that stuff than I am. Now I've got to figure out a way to get all my favorites back where they belong. Anyway, that's a story. Of another, that's another story. Uh, yeah, it w uh, I, you know, I hope they do well, but I think they're going, I don't know who the booker is, but, uh, I can tell you it's not Jimmy because his, his fingerprints were not all over that. Uh, Unless he was choking somebody because of some of it, but uh, I don't know. You know, I think. Uh, well, you know.
2: Well, at least they got they got uh, Morton and Gibson as the World Tag
1: Team champion. I don't.
4: You don't want to know what I think about that. You <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the AARP champions. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, now, me, listen, you know, when those guys, when they were the young Rock and Roll Express, when they were working with Ricky, uh, with, uh, excuse me, with Dennis and, and Bobby, uh, man, I mean, or like when Ricky worked a deal with Flair, yes, they got my respect and they were good, but this ain't them. And here's the other thing, as a promoter or as a booker, if I'm really trying to actually suspend your disbelief, uh, I'm going to put these guys over on television over guys who are young enough to be their grandchildren, and then what am I going to do with the kids that are young enough to be their grandchildren if they look at the lights for the old guys? Yeah. I mean, again, if That's you're true. trying to you know... Or, or if, you just, or if you're just saying, it's all a show. Okay, well then, you know, whatever. That's the easy, you know, the whole easy way out. That's like uh, some kid out of the clear, clear blue. Uh, this is, oh, it's been a year or so ago. He uh, was talking to me in a restaurant, and, and he said, yeah, I know, funny is money. I said, what? He said, funny is money. I said, where'd you hear that? Oh, so-and-so who wrestles here or there. And I said, well, tell so and so that Les Badger said he's full of shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> he didn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. You know, but but you know that guys, the, the easy way out is first to say everybody's smart, so no matter what, you know, we can do anything we want, right? It doesn't have to look real. Uh, and the next way, you know, uh, you know, and it, it's so that's my excuse, right? That's my excuse for doing that. It, it, or you know I could be funny because that's easier than actually learn how to work or learn how to tell a story just to go out and act a fool yeah or get get the most insane gimmick in the world right yeah, um, yeah it's it's you know it's ass backwards in a lot of ways and, and I you know there are guys you know uh i you know I've done camps. Last year, Well, you know, I, I did a week uh, at the Performance Center for WWE as a guest coach, but I've, I've done uh, camps with Rudy Gonzalez and Lance Storm and uh, Dr. Tom and Rip Rogers and, and uh, Francisco Siazza and uh, who you may not even know, but he's, he's a good uh, – he's a young guy, but he, he's old school in the way he teaches. But anyway, uh, you know, there's so few guys that actually – try to teach sound basics right and the fundamentals never change i mean my my analogy that for kids i was, you know the movie that won best dramatic film at the academy awards in 1940 and the movie that won it in the year 2019 you know the technologies changed the, the wording and the scripts would change the uh, you know the style of clothing has changed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing that has never changed in, in they having those two movies have in common is the basics for making a good dramatic movie, and the basics for yeah. our business are the same today as they were when I broke in 59 plus years ago.
1: Huh.
4: So hmm. take that and smoke it, by gosh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I
2: guess George uh, has either forgotten about us or he's having issues or something. But Maybe he uh, snowed
4: in. With... Maybe he snowed in. Uh,
2: maybe since, uh, since he's got the same blues I got since the Braves got. Cause, uh, it, it, the,
4: uh, oh, are <laughs> I'm slitting my wrist by damn Dodgers, right? Win 106 in the season and that's
2: it that you know and that's the thing and the Braves ninety seven. that was the two top teams in the the National League and I understand because of the expansions and all that over the years that they had to go to three divisions and that that forced the wild card situation all that but you know I'd much rather drive right. a team with the best best records playing for the division but you know there again it's all what uh what what Draws money, I guess. Draws TV coverage, but uh, I guess. Anyway, uh, 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 go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start discussing uh, the late great Harley Race. Now, you you met him. You said you worked with him in Boston when you were breaking in, I there?
4: Oh, it's '63 in Kansas City when Archie. Oh, he was, uh, he was already out there. there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Har- At the time, uh, Harley was nineteen. And uh, I was 22. And, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
4: yeah, that uh, I've got, I, have a, I don't know where the hell it's at, but I, I have found a, when I was packing up to move to Knoxville a, a picture of uh, Harley. We were in uh, Kansas City, uh, Missouri, auditorium where we worked on Thursday nights. And he's going to knee drop me off the top rope. Uh, in a match. But yeah, that's when we first met and first worked together. It was in Kansas City in sixty
2: three. So he'd already been through the Gulas territory as Jack Long and then had had his car wrecked by that time, right? Yeah. So that was in like yeah. sixty one. I don't happened? know when he he worked for for Santos in Boston and of course, you know, he wasn't hardly raised, so I think I forget called him the Great Mortimer or something like that. <laughs> he had some I don't know. know. He, now I, I broke in with
4: Santos. I went to I went to Boston in February of sixty and uh, started my training and had my first match uh, July the fourth of sixty. And uh, went home for Christmas and came back there in sixty one and stayed and left there in November of sixty one and then but that's how my first two years of my career was up there uh, I, He wasn't in at that time uh, so it was either before me there? or after me I don't know and it and it could have been a little bit before me because uh he started at uh well he was i you know I'm trying to think if he's three years younger than me um and I started 19 he started 15 so I would have been 18 I mean so I don't know I don't know when he would have been up there but that's the first time we met was in in 63
2: So you did yeah, you actually yeah. were in the in the ring where you did wrestling then Yeah oh
4: yeah Yeah yeah, I worked. I worked, worked, worked. We worked singles some, and worked some tags, and then he uh, some spot shows uh, around territory. He rode with me a couple times, so we, you know we spent a little time in the car. Um, we're just two kids, man, hanging out. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, he uh, Harley. You know, I love Harley Death. He's, I mean, the, the tough guy reputation is obviously truthfully earned. It's not a, a, a myth. Uh, but you know, if, if you're really uh, around him, he's just a teddy. Bear. He was a big teddy bear. He was. I mean, if he liked you, man, he liked you. And um, well, you know, uh, when the first couple of years that he did the uh, Noah camps, uh, I was out there with him and uh, stayed. Uh, the wife and I stayed with he and B.J. And uh, he had this little Chihuahua. And you see that little dog jump up in the cha- in Harley's easy chair next to him, and and Harley sit there, and, and I said, you know, I I used to think if if the people that know about badass Harley race saw this, <laughs> they just know there was a different person, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's just he was, uh, you know, it, and, and the one thing I liked about Harley, he was you know if he if he said you'd done something right, then you could go to the bank with it. you know he didn't bullshit you and uh that was uh you know that was uh, to me that in in our business is uh, it's not not necessarily rare but there are times that people will talk out <laughs> talk out of both sides of their mouth as you will see the expression goes. But uh, yeah, Harley was and
2: uh, we have been we have been doing by George Shire. He's gotten over his uh morning of the twins and he's uh he's with us now. So
4: <laughs> how regained you doing his composure. Day?
0: Hey George. Hey, guys. hey. I I apologize I'm late. I was at my uh, granddaughter's volleyball game and wouldn't you know they go into extra games and I was just kind of pushed for time. I apologize. Man, I hate being late. So
2: so, so what you're oh, saying yeah. is your your granddaughter's volleyball team did better than the Twins and the Braves did, huh?
0: Oh, <laughs> I got news for you. They won them. them. Now, let's not talk about the Twins, you know. And, and my
4: Dodgers, too. So we can all mourn here.
0: Too. Yeah, man, what happened there? I tell
4: yeah, you that, I, I give up. I don't know what happened there. Probably there'll be a new uh new uh manager. I don't know.
0: Well see Bobby
4: said
2: last night when the when the Cardinals won the that the Booker would have to uh let let the Nationals beat the Dodgers now to have a, a repeat of that series that was uh in uh the, the wild card or the
0: relate to the wild card I should say. <laughs> St. And <laughs> well, you know, I got to tell you guys, I got to tell you guys, with the Yankees beating the Twins again three straight games, I made the comment to my wife. I said, You know, if I didn't know better after these 16 consecutive Yankee losses, I'd say it's predetermined. And she said, You know, I wish I knew you before you learned that about wrestling because I tell her everything's <laughs> predetermined.
3: Well, let me let me let me tell you something. When when Kershaw comes in and throws two fastballs right down the middle, and yeah. they're back to back home runs, you have to question what's going on. Even <laughs> even if you're
4: a purist. I, yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, you know what though? I was talking to somebody earlier today. Uh, you know, um, J Lo's fiance he choked in in the big games. Yep. That's necessarily choke. He just didn't produce. Uh, Eddie Murray, who's in the Hall of Fame, right? He didn't yeah. – uh, he never – it was some reason, you know, in, in, in the uh, playoff games that he, you know, he just wasn't big. But, you know, so it's not he's not the first big star that's done that, but he's the first big pitcher in – my Dodgers has done that and it makes me mad.
0: <laughs> 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 well Oh Lord. Next year.
4: Yeah, that's well, well you know, I, I that know was the you know, that was the the uh uh the slogan of the Dodgers back in the early fifties, wait till next year.
1: None
2: of us would know. We'll have to take your
1: word for it.
4: You damn yeah, sure will.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's one of the good things about being the oldest guy in the house. I can lie to you about certain things you can't figure <laughs> Yeah, we're waiting to check. <laughs> right. Just uh, talking about Harley,
3: about people wouldn't realize uh, what a teddy bear he was if they knew him. Uh, I walked into uh, Jim Barnett's office in November 1974. Had been working for the quote-unquote opposition for two years, and I was the only person <clears throat> off that 31-32 man roster over at Dunkel that left they in the office on Saturday and had a job Monday morning working for Barnett. And I didn't know what I was walking into, and Harley was the booker. And and needless to say, I had heard all the stories, and, and uh, to say I was scared and intimidated would kind of be an understatement. Uh, but I walked in, and he treated me like he had known me my whole life. He was kind to me. He told me the stories of, being the kid that drove Happy Humphrey around up in Tennessee and did all the jobs that uh, nobody else would do just because he wanted to be in the business. And, uh, he, he, he was just super kind to me. And, uh, uh, we had a, we had a very good relationship for all the years that, that I was able to work with him. He, he didn't book there long, uh, after I got there, but, uh, when he became champion, uh, I was sort of like his personal secretary. He would, uh, Wherever he was, he would call and he'd say, how about autographing 10 pictures and mailing them to this deputy sheriff or <laughs> mailing them to this sheriff or this police <laughs> officer or, for whatever reason. So, you know, there's, there's, probably there's for, hundreds
4: just, probably for speeding tickets. Yes,
3: hundreds of pictures around the country people have framed in their house going, this was signed by Harley Race when they were indeed signed by myself and mailed on his behalf.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you should have signed them that way. <laughs> Harley Race's proxy by a Bobby Simmons. <laughs> oh uh, what whatever. Well George yeah. being the uh the, the Minnesota guru,
2: what when did uh when did Harley Race first come to uh the AWA? I'm assuming he
0: was he came there after the AWA had formed, correct? Oh yes. He came To the AWA, actually, it's kind of ironic. It was October of 1964, so we're talking uh, uh, 54, 55 years ago this month. And um, he showed up on TV doing ultimate wrestling. He had a couple of matches, just nonchalant. And Larry Hennig actually asked Wally Carbo, you know, let me work with this kid a little bit and Vern liked the idea. Harley was only I guess he'd have been about 21, 20 years old at that time, twenty one. And uh what year was it? Nineteen sixty four. October sixty four. No, was, he would have been
4: uh he would have been twenty.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I yeah. knew he was very, very young. I mean he was just a scrawny. Yeah, he's three years kid. younger.
4: He was three he's three years younger than me, or was three years
0: younger than me and he um he immediately got o- over with the fans because uh when he and, and Larry would do their interviews you know and, and the interviews in those days on TV with two minutes or they had to to get themselves over to make you love them or hate them and Harley could come out and he started with that handsome harley race right away and he was pulling off the, you know, I've got the body of Hercules, the mind of Einstein, the face of the goddess of love, and you know, immediately, I mean, that you know, the 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 body that men fear, or the men fear and women crave, you know, he pulled all that stuff, and it was over really well. Um, it was kind of interesting too, because when when Harley and Hennig were hooked up, the AWA had to kind of do a quick. Uh, switch in the plans that they had had because the plan was that they were going to bring back Carol Kelmikoff and team him up with Ivan because the Kelmikoff's had been, you know, over the decade and a half before that, they were on and off mainstays and very, very over as a heel team. But uh, in October of that year, 64, Carol uh, suddenly passed away and the AWA's plans were kind of derailed. So they switched Ivan to a babyface and hooked him up with Dick Garza, who came in as mighty Igor. And that Igor was playing the, the, uh, rookie never wrestled type guy who sat in the audience with the, with the trench coat on for several weeks. And, and, uh, when he finally took his trench coat off, you know, in the, in that year, uh, uh, Igor had this massive build and, and he couldn't speak any English He was from Poland And he wanted to be a wrestler So they hooked him up with Ivan, the veteran Kelmikov And uh, they became a tag team And a manager tag team combination But they were fodder For the uh, Hennigan race combination And then, you know, as I said It was kind of, the plans were switched And it was going to be Hennigan race As the next tag team champions Because, uh, the Crusher and the Bruiser, who were the champions at the time, Crusher had been on one of his self-imposed vacations. He used to take time off and was injured, but he had been off for a few months. And uh, the Bruiser, he was working his own territory in Indianapolis. So, you know, we had no tag champs. And they uh, they pretty much went with Larry and Harley, and, and they were over right away. And from October through january of 65 october 64 january 65 they were unbeaten uh they put them against several combinations and they put them against moon ganya and reggie parks and eventually that turned into a six-man with wilbur snyder joining the good guys and larry and harley were going to uh, surprise them and come up with their own partner and they pulled a coup, as they said, and they come out with Dick the Bruiser, and they had to have the best tag team partner because he was one half of the tag team champions. Well, that match went well until Larry and Harley in December of 64 in that match, they were, they were um, not tagging off to the Bruiser. They were in and out of the ring with each other, and the Bruiser was prancing on the ring apron and, by the time we got to the third fall, the bruiser had had enough, and he went in and took care of business. He took the Hennig and race and rammed their heads together, and race fell down, and, or Hennig fell down and was pinned, and that was their first defeat. And of course, it set the stage for the uh, January showdown, because now uh, Hennig and race wanted the bruiser, Benedict Arnold, they called him, that he pulled this double cross on them, and the Bruiser said, hey, you want me? I'm going to go to every honky-tonk and every bar in Milwaukee, and I'm going to find the Crusher, and we're going to have uh, we're going to have that showdown. And so in January, we had it, and uh, it, it just went over really well. I mean, Crusher and Bruiser losing to Hennigan Race, and then for the next four and a half, five years, uh, the AWA had those matches between those two teams just about every time they could think of, and every one of them were. We're over like the last one. So that's really how the story went with Larry and Harley. And I wanted to point something out to you. uh, You had mentioned about Harley getting uh, traffic tickets. Larry Hennig told me, he said, the last thing I ever wanted to do was every time Harley wanted to drive to a town, I told him, Harley, I'll take a bus. I can't ride with you. He says, if I did, I had to have my eyes closed. And he said, the man had no fear. He'd be doing 100 miles an hour to get to the town. And uh, Larry said, I, I just got to the point where I said, I'll meet you there. That's funny. <laughs>
1: yeah.
4: Yeah. Harley, uh, when uh, I always said when Harley and Flair were cut loose in Charlotte uh the same night, I would take myself and my car off the street, just out of fear <laughs> yeah. what what the end result would be. Yeah. Harley, uh, well, the last time we were out there uh, doing one of the NOAA camps, uh, stayed for a Saturday night show, and he was driving uh, the pickup pulling the ring trailer, and uh, we were on a two-lane Missouri road some damn place, and he was about 75 miles an hour. And my wife said, he shouldn't drive that fast. I said, oh, well, this is not fast. He's old now. That's slow for Harley he's he's only <laughs> running 75 yeah he
0: well, uh, larry said he didn't have a car that had a speedometer that was under 100 you know he just he just went fast. you know and it, it's sad too because you know harley had some serious car wrecks in his day too and um, i know so but yeah he did know how to drive fast
4: well you know a lot of us did uh you know uh at one point uh well John, Johnny Walker drove stock race stock cars Johnny Weaver race stock cars Tim Woods myself and a Steamboat a Steamboat all uh drag were drag racing um I'm trying to think who else might have been involved uh well, there's
2: a box down in and Ray Field, Stevens race go
4: karts and motorcycles and,
2: and motorcycles yeah
4: Ironic.
2: Uh, Mobile, Kelly, uh, hippie boy yet. Uh, oh, that's Tony right. All yeah. Automatic. Yeah.
4: When, because Lee uh, had the, had field, the track, Buddy, yeah.
2: Buddy Fuller, everywhere Buddy Fuller ever worked. He got involved with, with dirt track racing and all that stuff. Ironically, I
4: remember. I, just, I, just, I, just, I,
1: just, I think it was another, Corbin.
4: Guy. I think it was Corbin Speedway, uh, Walker is the baby. Johnny, he wasn't wrestling too at the time, it was Johnny Walker. And uh, Johnny Long is the heel. Uh, Had a, I think it was supposed to be a five lap race or something at Corbin Speedway, is where we wrestled uh, in the summer, uh, weather permitting. And uh, (laughs) Walker lapped him two times (laughs) before the five laps were up. Oh, uh, that was crazy. But yeah, we. Uh, yeah, that. And, oh, and Mike Graham, Mike Graham, the first time I was in Tampa in '67 uh, when I first met Eddie, uh, Mike was senior. Well, Mike and Dennis McCord, Austin Idol, were seniors in high school together at the time. And uh, Eddie asked me, uh, he said, the publicity about. Drag racing. He said, Is that just uh, publicity or is that a, a shoot? And I said, No, it's a shoot. And he asked me a little bit about it. And he said, Well, you know, my kid's got a, I think a 55 Chevrolet. Uh, he's, uh, you know, it's built for drag racing. And he said, I'd appreciate it if you'd uh, check it out before I let him take it out. I said, You mean if it doesn't kill me, it'll be all right for him to drive it? <laughs> he said, yeah, something like that. And I said, sure. But Mike and I, in 71 down there, uh, we took off a couple days and went over to Gainesville for the uh, NHRA Gator Nationals. Uh, a couple of buddies of mine from Cincy uh, were uh, running double A Gas Dragster uh, nationally at the time. But anyway, uh, yeah, Mike, is, well, Mike stayed in it. Uh, he had a Corvette uh, shop in Tampa. He used to come up here to Knoxville, uh, once a year, they have a big Corvette, or at least they used to, I don't know if they still do or not, had a big Corvette uh, uh, auction here uh, over around the fairground somewhere. And Mike used to bring a car a trailer, you know, with a, uh, th- three or four vets on it that uh, to sell or to see if he could sell. But uh, yeah, a lot of the guys were in- into, uh, now a lot of the guys go to go the to stock car races in charlotte and get blind drunk and wouldn't be able to see wouldn't have to be told the next day who won because they didn't see anything uh but then that's just another story isn't it?
0: you know guys i could tell you something i don't know if you if you touched on this at all about harley race um when he and larry had won the tag team title in january of 1965 They had been champions for about two weeks and the Harley race and Larry Hennig, Eddie Sharkey, and a couple of the other wrestlers were at the uh, chestnut tree, which was a lounge, a bar and lounge in downtown Minneapolis after the matches. And there was a confrontation with some, uh, some guys that were beating up a lady in the lounge Harley got involved in it. He went over to you know, basically rescue the, the lady. And one of the guys uh, he took down right away, the other one, and this story has been told by Eddie Sharkey and uh, Larry many times. So Harley had one guy of the three down. He was in the process with the, third, with the second one, and the third guy came up behind Harley with a pen knife and got him in the back. And Harley was taken to the hospital. Uh, He had this knife in his back, and he was out of action. Uh, It made the newspapers that, you know, local wrestler, uh, you know, comes to the rescue of this lady and the whole thing. They acknowledged it on All-Star Wrestling that uh, Harley Race had been a hero and perhaps saved this lady's life. He was out of action. And the, the interesting thing was this was when, even as a little kid, At the time, I would have been about in 64, I would have been about 13, 14 years old. Um, I learned right away how great Harley Race was because when he came back to action after he was out of action about three weeks, and when he came back, they had him on a TV match with Larry. They introduced him on TV, and the studio audience cheered Harley when he was introduced. And so the bell for their match rang. Harley started the action, and within about 30 seconds, he was getting booed to the rafters because he just was <laughs> pummeling his opponent. And I, it dawned on me like he had to get his heat back, he, and he was the heel. And that really told me right there. And I remember that so vividly that Harley just showed that he had to have his heat back, and he did it. And, uh, you know, he, he just could do stuff like that. Another thing that I thought about when you were talking about the auto accidents and the speeding and stuff, it was also in October of 64. Uh, Harley and Larry had been together only a few few weeks, and they were scheduled to go against Jack Lanza and uh, Leaping Larry Shane. And coming that week to the matches, Larry Shane was killed in a car accident coming from Detroit. And the story goes, and I talked to Dave Brzezinski about this one time. You know, he said this is true that Larry Shane had had a speeding ticket on his dashboard when he had the accident that killed him, and he had just gotten a traffic accident shortly, or a traffic ticket shortly before that. And he was noted for his speed in the cars as well. So the match with Larry and Harley, uh, they they uh, announced in the program that Larry had been killed and he'd, he'd been on and off in the Twin Cities so he was kind of a local favorite and uh, of course he was subbed for that night by uh, Rene Goulet with Shaq Lanza but that was another time where the, the road took him uh, due to speed. He was a heck of a talent too. From,
2: <clears throat> of course I never saw him live but just from the video I've seen, I he was he was a fantastic wrestler. <laughs> You're talking about
0: Shane? Uh, Shane, yeah, Larry Shane. Yeah, yeah. I, I just remember. Was was,
4: uh, was your version of Larry Shane with or without shoes?
0: He had he had boots on when I saw him. He always got he he okay, boots. Because he, he also I've worked barefoot,
4: too. He also worked barefoot, oh, really? too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't hmm. recall that. But he did yeah. Have, yeah, he had well,
4: a, I know for, uh, for, I think it was for Burt Ruby in uh, Detroit, uh, he was leaping Larry Shane. Right. Right. right.
0: Yeah. Well, the, only two was... the only two wrestlers in the AWA that I ever remember working barefoot were Antonino Rocca in the early 60s when he came in, which I think he always did. And then we had um, uh, a young guy named Bob Capel, that uh, wrestled in the mid-60s, late-60s here in Lapanan, and he was barefoot. Uh, Oh, yeah, uh, right. well, the Japanese wrestlers did. Mitsu Arakawa, Kenji Shibuya, they always were barefoot in the room. Yeah, yeah, Charles Tanaka. Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, Tanaka Uh, never wrestled here. Yeah. Uh, The amazing
4: uh, amazing Zuma, uh, Manuel Zuma, barefooted. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ricky yeah. Starr. Well, no, he he wore the ballet slippers. I'm sorry.
2: He wore ballet slippers, uh, yeah.
4: Who the yeah. hell else?
2: Didn't, um, didn't Snooka, what was, his, what was his name when he first started? Yeah, that? yeah, okay. yeah, right. Wanted, yeah, yeah. To, uh, I,
4: yeah I, I, okay. I did sometimes on wet canvas because uh, the soles on the wrestling boots was like putting drag racing slicks on ice for Christ. Like, I no skated. Yes.
1: <laughs>
3: El Mongo yeah, was a
4: top so, heel here. He had a good run. Here's a top heel. He worked barefooted.
1: Yeah.
3: And then the uh, Argentino uh, Apollo, we had him.
1: Right. Right.
0: That's right. I, guess than the, sure. than that I thought. But yeah, they did.
4: And Lord knows how many, many guys rushed no that way because couldn't afford it.
0: guys <clears throat> well, Mitsu Aricawa yeah. and Kenji Kubui, I know when they worked for for uh, Minneapolis, you know, they would come into the ring with those I don't know what you call them, but they were like those wood block shoes that they'd have yeah. on their feet strapped on their feet. Yeah. I, I know there's got to be a name for them. And then they would take them off and be barefoot. And of course, they would always build up that their feet were as lethal as their hands and that sort of thing. So I, I always remember, and I always thought it was weird when they were barefoot because, uh, you know, I don't know, walking barefoot, it just it's hard. Yeah.
4: Well, I say, I, you know, I worked that way a few times, and it, I wasn't comfortable with it, but I just knew it was safer, you know, than than have my boots on on the wet canvas. So sure. uh, I,
0: well, How about Haystack Calhoun? He wrestled
4: barefoot? Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. He Bill he wrestled barefoot. He yeah.
2: did up until the yeah to the end when he, he started wearing like work boots, like Joe LaDuke wore. <clears throat> and man, Mountain Mike, my <throat> boy Fraser, all those hillbilly guys wrestled barefoot. The scuffling hillbillies, of
0: course. All thirty-eight
1: uh-huh. 30- of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we started off with one, and now we've got a hundred of them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> it just depends
4: on the yes, we do. Oh Lord, just think of yeah, all know, the country. Boys. Yeah, you guys remember Farmer Marlin?
0: Yes, well, I I'm not young enough to remember him remember him, but I do remember him being here in Minneapolis.
4: Yeah, I uh, I remember seeing him as a kid. He wrestled for Al Haft. So uh, I saw him on TV, but then I saw him here. He, I think he worked Chicago or New York, uh, network r- television wrestling, too. Uh, yeah, I can't remember which one it was, but yeah, he was it was
2: Kohler because I've seen him from, uh, on Kohler's TV shows.
4: Okay, so he was out of Chicago, but yeah, he worked for Al Half, so we saw him live in Cincinnati, and uh, he was worked for I had, I don't remember what what year it was. Probably fifty, fifty one, fifty two, somewhere in there. I'm guessing. But yeah,
1: that's and, uh,
4: uh, the Scuffling Hillbillies, Rip and Chuck. Yeah. Rip you guys
1: and
2: Chuck and that? Slim and Willie and Yeah, Willie uh, that's and right. That, those are the additions. It was Chuck. Uh, yeah. uh Billy Garrett
4: was one of them.
2: He was cousin Will. Well, and, uh, originally
4: it was Chuck uh, Rip uh, Rip Collins and Chuck Conley were the original two.
2: Chuck Conley yeah. he
4: started for Al Haft, and then yeah, then right. Willie worked was worked in, and then they got the guy was start out as a manager, and then him and Chuck ended up wrestling as a team. Uh, I forget what and was his name. Alfie. He was kind of a skinny Alfie. guy. Al, yeah, oh, yeah, Marvin
2: Seedum, who worked as Slim Slim Marlin, yeah, cousin Slim. He later became. No, not
4: Slim Marlin. I'm talking about. The, I, he was one of the. Uh, scuffling Hillbilly's hillbillies never really had a last name, uh, as far as.
2: Well, he when uh, he, well, he worked I mean, by himself, he was, he was Slim Marlin. But but he also worked his cousin Slim. And he okay, was with. Uh, with Willie Alfred some and then Cousin Alfred was a, was the big heavy one that carried the the jug and the cowbell. That then, was he was usually the manager, but he worked some too.
4: Rocket Monroe told me one time. I concede to all you historians. How can I beat you guys? I can't. (laughs) I give up. Rocket Monroe told
3: me one time, he said, Cousin Al hit him with that bell one time. He said he never hit him again.
1: (laughs) I
2: heard that. Yeah. And then the last one was another guy from from Columbus, Ohio, after – all the rest of them were gone. Chuck Conley got a guy named uh, Vic Nichols. And they were the last version of the Scuffling Hillbillies in the early '70s. After
0: that, it just faded out.
4: I don't remember that that version. I know I knew the other versions, but
0: you know, I've got another one that wrestled barefoot. I just just came to me. Big Luke Brown when he was first in the Twin Cities. Before it became the AWA in 1959, Luke was here wrestling as Man Mountain Campbell. Luke Brown is a Kentuckian. Oh, okay. Um, Big Boy Brown. Okay. Yep. he He was Man Mountain Campbell. Don Campbell he wrestled as here in 59, and he was barefoot. And then when he came back to the then AWA in 1967, he came back as Big Luke Brown. And he, of course, then had boots on. But it just dawned on me, I remember him being barefoot in 59.
4: He was, when I first went, the first time I went to Charlotte, it was 63. He and, uh, he was there as one of the, uh, Kentuckians. Uh, Kentuckians, yeah, exactly. Lord now, knows how many good, territories of Kentuckians and the assassins made money in. Oklahoma, Charlotte, Atlanta, Florida, I think. Atlanta.
1: Yeah. Did they yeah. work Atlanta California, too?
3: California? They tried it in Atlanta after Florida, but it didn't get over as well here as it did in Florida. I heard Tom talk about they that. They didn't
2: they worked in Los Angeles and they worked um somewhere in Canada. It may have been Calgary.
4: And I think did they, they worked them? in Arizona
0: together. Did they wrestle on the East Coast? No, they,
4: uh, I was uh, – uh, Jody and, and Tom were in uh, Phoenix when I was out there in 66. And, no, they weren't there okay. then.
1: Okay.
2: okay. I can tell you the last territory that the Kentuckians ever worked in. as a team. Okay. okay. In Mobile, Alabama. They worked. They 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 re teamed in 1977. Uh, Grizzly was booking for the league, and they had they had a uh, their last farewell. They had a series of matches against Alpha and Seeker. Okay. So That was around, that was the last time they did. Like that was probably the last year Grizzly worked as far as wrestling. I know he went to work for Watson.
0: Somebody who always whatever. Somebody who always spoke okay. very highly of Luke was um Dutch Savage. When I yeah. talked to him. He always would, he would always it seemed like in every conversation he would bring up Luke. And they had actually wrestled as brothers early in their careers.
4: George, do you keep all this in your head, or do you actually are you reading from a script now? You've got to no, mess no, I'm, up.
0: No, I'm no, I'm standing, I'm standing here in the middle of my wrestling room, just looking at pictures.
4: Oh, okay.
0: As, uh, <laughs> pictures on the wall as I talk, and listen to you guys, and uh, you know, in the conversation, and it just. This comes to me. It's in my head. I can't, seriously, I can't remember if I had supper tonight. And You know, this is what it's, what it's come to in my life.
4: <laughs> well, as a kid, I, I used to, you know, memorize uh, like Buddy Rogers, you know, Camden, New Jersey, real name uh, wrestled as Dutch Rose, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff as a kid. Uh, but now I remember. You know try what I did remember? When
0: I, was, when I was about 13, 14? The first thing I remember doing is I grabbed, you know, these little recipe boxes with the index cards. Yeah. I, 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 bought, I, had, a, I had a recipe box, and, our, and I had the index cards. And what I started to do back then was I would make an index card for every wrestler that I could read about in the wrestling magazines at the time. And I would just make little notes on them. Well, you know, I did that for a few years. I had, I had three or four recipe boxes because I had so many cards but eventually we had a house fire in 1971 and as much stuff as I saved I also lost a few things and those were some of them but nonetheless I started files and you know now I have a file on every wrestler or every tag team in my cabinets and I retain information in them and photos and bios and Clippings and whatever on particular
4: wrestlers. here is all I
0: can if say. I don't have it in my head, I can go to the file and pull it out. That's how it works with my brain. Oh, my Here's a match on TV: it. Rogers,
2: Rogers, Maurice, and Barron against Bobo Brazil, Art Thomas, and Dory Dixon from Chicago, and yeah. right. probably sixty. No, this was before he was in W.H. or not.
4: Could have been sixty. Yeah. Have... Well he worked for uh, the
1: That
0: would've would been quite often anyway. Yeah. Yeah. We had Maurice in Minneapolis in the late fifties. He was here as Gene Dubuque. And that was he only made a few appearances about nineteen fifty seven. We never had him after that.
4: His, when Barron, I first saw him Johnny as a kid Barron. on New York TV, he was Gene Dubuque.
0: Yeah. And Johnny Barron was here too in the late 50s, but they never, they weren't teamed, they weren't associated in any way. And again, that was all before AWA because the AWA was formed in August of 60, so everything before that was NWA Minneapolis.
4: We didn't ask, yours, ask George, something. did you see the NWA uh, debut show Tuesday? Uh,
0: you're talking recently? Yeah,
4: this, you didn't even know there was one.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're talking stuff. Uh, No. 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 Wow. I haven't they're, watched they're, any Modern Wrestling for five, six years. Oh okay well that all right then you wouldn't even, wouldn't even
4: have a clue kid
0: I've I maybe once or twice in the last couple of years I've switched my wife will be channel uh surfing and she'll catch Monday night raw and I can tell you I immediately just leave the room I every it seems like every time I've seen it they got some goofy skit going on and I just leave I can't do it so I'm not in tune with the current product. I have nothing against it. I let everybody have their era. I'm okay with that, but I live in the past.
4: Uh, Me too. Me too. Well, you know what's Mm -hmm. funny? I was talking to somebody earlier today, and and, uh, Scott Teal's name came up, and I I was telling him, I said uh, a couple years ago, Scott, he came up to my house, spent a couple days in, in Cincinnati with me, and um bj whitmer and, and kelly klein uh, came over and uh, we we had a couple it was uh, just just before i'd shipped off all my hwa tv shows to uh, wwe cuz they bought the library anyway uh, so we're looking through these things and uh, i i have some a couple current tapes and i said something to scott about it. and scott said I haven't watched wrestling since 1988 or something like that. I said, "Really?" And he said, "Yeah."
0: <laughs> well, it's oh, funny Lord. because my, my uh, I got nieces and nephews that are into the WWE, and you know they they find out that I liked wrestling, and they right away think I know all about wrestling. They're what they're talking about for today, and I have to tell them right away. I say, "Guys." I really have no idea who you're talking about, you know. I'm, well, then, then I lose all credibility with them because, you know, they're only 12, 13 years old. They, they, wrestling just started with them, you know. And uh, I'm living in the Stone Age. I always say, I, my, my line is always, give me more of the past so I can enjoy the present. And that's the way I look at wrestling.
3: My grandson, who is, all he knows is WWE. I mean, he's, that's all he's ever seen. It's all he knows. He's, he's 18. He's really into it. He, he loves it. And uh, when he was about, I mean, this has been going on his whole life. He just fell in love with it when he saw it. But he was probably about six or seven. And uh, Michael found uh, on YouTube uh, a match with me refereeing Atlanta TV. It was Tony Rose and the Fabulous Moolah against George Grable and Susan Green. And it was probably from nineteen seventy five, maybe. And uh, I showed it to him. And he looked at it and he and, and he I could see this puzzled look in his face and he would look at it, and he would look at me, and he was trying to figure out if that was really me, and then all of a sudden it's like the lights went on. And I thought he got it. He got it. And he turned and looked at me and pointed at the T V and said, That's the fabulous Moolah, I know who she is.
1: <laughs> there you go.
3: <laughs> and what, and you know because she was doing the things for Vince, and then once 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 he knew that was moolah, he didn't care if I was on there or not. So. <laughs> well,
0: his eyesight and his, uh, his stuff is good.
4: <laughs> Grandbaby didn't get any ice cream that night. Oh, Jesus! <laughs>
0: <geez.
4: laughs> oh Lord, Lord, Lord.
2: Listen, how how close were uh, Kirby and, and Harley? I know Harley. He, Whenever Harley had oh, the a coach, he normally had Kirby there. and uh, They were
4: real close.
2: I, I know after Kirby turned heel, a lot of his interviews, he sounded, you could close your eyes and you'd think you were hearing Harley the way he talked. He talked just like Harley. Well,
4: they, Kirby, you know, they both talked naturally that way because when Kirby first yeah. broke in, that you know, that uh, around Indianapolis, uh, that's where he and Hall and I all hooked up uh Curb talked, to, talked that way then. But, uh, well, you know, Harley said about Roger, he said, the difference between Roger, Kirby, and I is I got a break. And I said he couldn't <laughs> ask for a better endorsement than that. Yeah. But, you know, Curb, Curb was a hell of a heel, but uh, all the time that the three of us worked together, we were baby faces. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so, I mean, he could uh, – he could work both sides of the street. I mean, he was just a hell of a worker. And the crazy thing was, off out of the ring, Roger was so laid back, sometimes you want to poke him with a pin to be sure he's still breathing. And yet, once he got in the ring, you know, he, he became animated. It was, you know, just like two different people sometimes. But,
2: he was a great wrestler. Uh, I tell you, I, I I hate I never got to see you guys, but I, I wasn't living in Alabama when you guys came through there. I was in Germany when you guys were, in that territory. But I I saw him, off and on in Florida whenever he'd come down there, uh, whenever he came with Dylan or I think he came with Rip Hawk at one time down there, and he was. He, just, and, he and I he were in da-
4: '67. We were down there. To, uh, yeah, together. In Tampa, yeah, we we had a, a, a good, damn good program with uh, against Matt Suda and Ronnie Garvin because they had the, the, the story. Uh, I would that was the year that I was NWA. Rookie it makes me year. so
2: just thinking about that duo. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, they. Well, you know, a, a funny thing uh, because uh, Hero and I, the whole deal was because I was a junior heavyweight and. He and Hodge had been trading the belt back then, Uh, not every week like like they do now, but anyway, uh, and and, uh, just a few months before that, he had dropped the strap back to Danny. So the deal was uh, if I get past Hero, then I I get a shot at Hodge. And uh, so that escalated into – What a bargain
3: that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right out of the
4: frying pan into the fire, right? <laughs> you heard just, but I was, uh, he wrote such a gentleman, well, Danny too, for God's sakes, but uh, he wrote, said to me in the, we were in the office one time and he said, oh, that match is going good. I said, well, uh, thank you. I said, yeah, I'm enjoying it too. He said, yeah, I said, Les, uh, you know, uh, you really, you don't have to go down after one, two chops. I said yes, I do. He said why? (laughs) I said it's called self-preservation. Is why. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly why. I can barely stand. Too? Are you kidding me? No. He and and I remember uh, Duke uh, placed him on. Well, no, he there was another barefoot guy, Duke Yamuka. Duke Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he and Hero teamed up a couple times. Do you want to talk about let the both of them chop on you for about 30 minutes? <laughs> uh Huh. No. Yeah, Hero was uh, uh, easy to work with. I mean, the, everybody that chopped laid their chops in. I, I can feel blessed and graced that I never had to work with Wahoo because we were both baby faces. <laughs>
0: I tell you what, Wahoo with those props he always made it look real, and the guy's chest was always red. Yeah, they Honest. were real. <laughs> I, knew I, knew I, knew I mean, I used, to, I used to have a guy sit behind me at the old Minneapolis Auditorium. I have a ringside seat, and this guy's right behind me, old guy. And I swear he was 85 back then. This is in the 70s. And Wahoo and Robinson, guys like that, when they would – the referee wouldn't see something that uh, they did or, you know, the referee would be blind. And this guy behind me, he would be jumping out of his seats and his famous line was, bought off referee, bought off referee. I thought he was going to have a heart attack. But anytime time would be uh, attacked by the bad guy, he'd be blaming the referee. And then when Wahoo would come back and have those chops, I used to deliver them to uh, Bachwangel and Stevens. You know, and you talk about some great matches there. Uh, Ray's chest used to just be solid red. And I'm thinking, man, that's got to hurt. You know, I don't care what you say, it's got to hurt. You see, Wahoo had, had an ulterior motive. He figured if he, he
2: hurt the guy bad enough, they'd have to come to him and he could sell stuff out of his tackle box.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I was—I I never had to work with Walker, like I say, because we're both baby faces. But I used to—I said, "These poor guys—they have to work handicap match with you." And he said, "Well, you're talking about handicap." I said, "Well, you and Benny, because he had the—you know—the the greenies from football, right?"
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <You know. laughs> A couple of months ago, I was watching a match on YouTube between Bill Dromo and Tony Valentine. I, I swear, I was bruised myself by the
0: time I got there watching that video. <laughs> when you talk about great matches, how about the Valentine Wahoo matches? I saw them wrestling
4: oh, in God. Dallas one time. Holy oh yeah, crap. we we had a bunch of those in in the Charlotte territory. Yeah, that's.
1: First I time tell you, somebody else who had a great match
2: with Valentine was. Was Red Bastine,
1: Bastine, oh, yeah.
2: Valentine had great matches in Texas and Florida, wherever they yes.
1: worked together.
4: Red was a hell of a babyface. I mean, he was. He was a hell of a babyface.
0: You know, you know, when you say Red Bastine, and and um, he was a guy that if he wrestled against Valentine, which I did see him wrestle uh, Johnny one time, but I saw him several times against Ray Stevens and several times against Mad Dog Machon. And if I were to seriously sit down and make a list of, of matches that were just so much fun to watch and so phenomenal, those would be it because they you could tell these guys loved each other. And yet they they put on such a classic match. Ray and Ray and uh, Red, oh my god, their matches were I wish
4: yeah, I could they have uh, They were in Charlotte together. And, yeah. uh, I mean, not together, but they were in territory at the same time. And I saw yeah. them work together a couple of times. Yes. But I'll tell you what, when the Shire brothers worked with the Bastine brothers, which was Roy Shire and Ray and, yep. uh, Red and Lou, uh, Lou Klein. Um, uh, mm-hmm. it was once, once Ray and, and Red got in the ring, uh, they raised a level so much that uh, Damner, Lou, and Roy couldn't follow it. I mean, they were, (laughs) uh, they they were music together. I mean, they were, it was, it was poetry with the two of them together. They were really weird.
0: That's what we had here too, because we had uh, Bachwinkle and Stevens together as the team and Red was with um, uh, Hercules Cortez and then with Crusher and with Robinson as partners. And, Every time Ray and Red got in the ring, I mean, it, that was the favorite part of the match right there. You could—they just—they they didn't even have to talk; they just did it. And it was
4: so good. Red did the prettiest flying head scissors anybody in the world.
0: Dick Buyer said that. Yeah. He, he said that he uh, the first time that uh, he said the first time Red Bastine had delivered that flying head scissors to him, and Dick was under the mask as Destroyer at the time. And he said the first time he delivered that to me, he said my first comment to him is, Where have you been all my career? <laughs> and then of course they went together the and when uh Meyer was Doctor X as well. But yeah, their matches were always good too.
4: Yeah, I'm sure they were. Listen guys, I'm gonna have to bow out. I've I've got a six AM podcast to do tomorrow, so I've gotta be up up by five. And uh oh,
1: all, you know how
4: us old guys are, we gotta have her sleep. <laughs> you young guys can stay up and party. <laughs> hey, uh listen, uh no, check out uh me. check out the website don't uh, a young man what here in that town that? is running a it's a surprise December the fourteenth. Uh it's an appreciation for Bobby Eaton. And a bunch of guys are going to make it. It's going to be on Fight TV, uh, doing a pay-per-view. Uh, uh, three hours. Uh, it's from uh, down uh, by where uh, Dr. Tom and uh, Glenn Jacobs' uh, school is. But a whole bunch of the old guys are going to be here, and, and some of the young, he's got some younger guys coming in, and, and it's going to be a surprise. Bobby thinks he's booked for a um, meet and greet. And sign autographs uh, at uh, Dr. Tom's place in the afternoon. Of course, it's a whole other thing. So anyway, okay. check. It, but there is a. It's got information, and that's where you can get tickets. Okay. Don'ttellbobby.com. Okay. All right.
3: Good deal. Okay. God all bless right, you all. You. All right, man. All right, left.
4: You Thanks guys bless. try to try yeah. to behave yourselves, you young guys. We'll try, man. Too <laughs> much <laughs> <My> trouble. <laughs> <Bye-bye>. <laughs> Catch you later. Bye, bye. God right. bless.
0: Oh, I, still the that, that? Uh, Les, I still remember the night Uh I still remember the night about 35 years ago or more that Les Thatcher. He talks about getting his sleep. He needs his sleep. Les Thatcher and I sat in a bar in Kansas City all night long. Literally all night long. It was one of these uh, rotating restaurants at the top of a. Building, you know, where it goes around in a circle very slowly.
1: Uh huh. We, yeah.
0: we sat there, and it was uh, wee, wee, wee hours of the morning before we decided maybe we should try to get some sleep. So obviously, he's gotten older <laughs> that he needs to get sleep now. <laughs> um.
1: Well.
3: I know, I'm, I know I've gotten older. I used to sit up and watch the news. I don't even see the news anymore.
0: <sighs> I don't watch the news because I don't want to be depressed. So yeah, family. it's the same
3: old, same old. It's, it's, nothing changes. Yeah. Nothing changes. Still four to one, Michael. Houston, bottom of the seventh.
0: Is this game five? Oh,
3: it looks
2: like Houston, Game five. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's gonna be Houston and uh, in New Washington,
3: York, I guess. York. Well,
1: Houston and no. the
3: Yankees. Houston and the I Yankees. Think Houston, are probably I
1: think Houston. I think Houston may beat the Yankees.
2: I don't know. At this point, my see, my baseball season's over. That's the only sport I even watch live. I, I record everything else and watch it the next day. Atlanta. I
0: really thought. This- I really thought this was going to be the twin season. I I figured they had enough to do it, but then their pitching was suspect at best at times. And uh, they had, they've got this stigma where every time they're going to go against the Yankees, that's all we hear in our local media that they're, they're against the Yankees and the Yankees have beat them this many times. And I know it's not even the same teams anymore that, you know, facing each other, but, there just seems to be that stigma that they can't beat the Yankees, and they don't. Well, midseason, when they and the Braves were both doing so well, I was
2: hoping for a re- repeat of the uh, World Series between Minnesota and Atlanta, except Atlanta win this time because you guys don't have what's the name? Herfect. of. A- throw people off first base.
3: Well, I was going to say, that was a great wrestling move he used there uh, when he leg <laughs> out well, the guy and pushed him off the base.
0: He was even talking <laughs> in those days that he wanted to be a pro wrestler. He was hanging around with Rashke. I sat through, well, back uh, when all four, all four of the uh, home games of the Atlanta and Twins World Series in 91. And a great World Series. The only thing I didn't like, and I'm sorry, but that chant that the Atlanta fans do in our Method room at the time, I, I went home and I couldn't hear. It was so loud. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah, dude, we could have. Uh, uh,
1: in the 80s, when Ted Turner on the Braves and Bob Hunter was uh,
2: uh, playing for a there were rumors that, that uh, he was going to wrestle on yesterday during the offseason. He already he was big and he already had curly blonde hair, so he must fit right in.
0: <coughs> you know, we City could have had fan. a Twins Cardinals series, too. What's that? That was 87. We could have had a Twins Cardinals World Series if things would have played right, because that was the 87 yeah. uh, World Series. We had a chance for two of our former opponents.
1: Uh, Philadelphia fired their base, their manager today, which
2: I, I've been predicting that since
1: mid-summer.
0: Is it my just, phone or are you guys um, chopping out a little bit?
3: Well, Michael kind Maybe of fades in phone. and out every once in a while.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, what else is on the agenda?
2: Did we lose Michael? Oh, there you go. No, is. I'm here. I'm here.
1: Okay. Uh, I just wanted to
2: uh, try this for the third time. I'm glad we got it in this time. I just hate Jerry wasn't with us because. Jerry had a ton of magic with Horley, so I, I was going to ask him what it was like to, to work with him. He was so, so methodical and so just, just you couldn't. Uh, Bobby and I talked about you couldn't blow him up no matter what you did. He never got
0: tired, you know. And, and well, what, how many how many Broadway like he it. did all the time?
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the,
3: I don't remember who was talking about it. Somebody asked him one time says. One of the young guys asked him said, "What is your workout routine before you go to the ring? Do you do push-ups? Do you do jumping jacks? Do you uh use the rubber medical hose? Do you work out? What do you do?" He says, "Normally i finish my cigarette and say, "Okay, let's go."
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was amazing that he could uh, that he smoked as much as he did and was able to go in there every night like he did, too. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was one of the things A lot of that guys Larry had. Believe it or not, oh Ray Stevens, Wilbur Snyder, Bob Armstrong. Yeah, I mean
2: that was another. Bob smoked constantly, and you couldn't blow him up either. <clears throat>
0: you wouldn't so, Yeah. Maybe it was just the way Harley worked. You know, you, you use the word methodical. Um, th- there was, uh, at least from my perception, there was never anything real fast about Harley race in the ring.
2: No, no. Uh, there
0: was like, nothing wasted it, at all. No, no. And everything he did in the ring, it made sense. I mean, he 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 wasn't some flash flashy guy. He was never doing any high high risk moves. Just everything looked like it had a meaning, and it was slow and methodical. Is a great word. He just made it made it uh, mean something. And
3: everything was very believable. There was nothing yeah. questionable at all in anything he did.
0: Well, and that was the thing too about the interviews, because you know, back in that era, um, that as we mentioned a little bit ago, you know, that two or three minutes that a wrestler had during their interview to get you to run and buy tickets. Um, Harley, he, at least in his AW, every AWA appearance and I used to see him in St. Louis too, he never came out and shouted and ranted and spit and, you know, foamed at the mouth or anything. He'd show his anger, but he'd be uh, very direct, very precise in what he was going to say and when he walked away from the interview area, at least as a fan looking at it, I would say, yep, this is one tough son of a gun. You know, he's going to do it. And I, that's what it was all about. Mm-hmm. It was it was quite a bit different, too, because when he was Handsome Harley Race originally in the early, in the 60s here in Minneapolis territory, uh, he was a
1: little bit more
0: bland on his interviews Um, You know, when he was bragging about being handsome and body of Hercules and everything. But um, once he got rid of the, you know, the handsome Harley thing, uh, he, he just became more direct and believable in his interviews as a tough guy. And I was going to point something out to you guys, too, when I had mentioned that stabbing that he had in the back. If you guys, if you ever get a chance, and you're looking at a video or something of Harley, if you look at his back, you'll see a little moon-shaped uh, scar that stayed with him the rest of his life from that knife wound, hmm. right on the right on the shoulder blade, um, on the left hand side. So that's something for you to look at. It's it's very noticeable if you know if you know what you're looking for.
2: I know you refereed about a bunch of his matches. Who, who would you think, or who did you enjoy
1: refereeing matches between Harley and, and who? Him and him and
3: him and wrestling too. John Walker, they had great matches. Jeez, um, uh, refereed a match or two with him and Tommy Rich. They had good matches. Uh, you know, I referee a lot of matches, even when he wasn't the champion. With him, uh, I can't remember who his partner was, but I remember one night in particular in Atlanta, uh, in the Omni on an Omni show, they they had him and, a, him and somebody working against Bobo Brazil and Ernie Ladd. And I mean, just what a, he was so smooth, and, and you know, uh, you know, Bobo and Ernie were limited in some of the stuff they could do, but. Uh, just uh, I remember that being an exceptionally good match.
0: Uh, would Harley generally have been uh, the one calling the match? Oh sure. Yeah. Oh okay.
3: yeah. Oh yeah. He uh, he was yeah. Just you know, <laughs> hey daddy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: he just, no, he'd he'd just. would have been a fool not to let him because.
1: Yeah.
0: You know I had. He knew what he was doing. I'll I tell you a testament to to uh, Harley Race too. I had ringside seats in the cities for about 20 years. And I'm going to reveal something here that will surprise people. But uh, the, they used to give away what they called 10 tickets to the next wrestling card. You had a lucky number program that you could buy.
1: Right, right. And the
0: lucky number program, the lucky number program, you know, if you got the lucky number, you're going to get two tickets to the next wrestling card. Well, of those 10 sets of tickets, there were only about 3 sets of them that were actually really given away to some lucky fan. The other right. 7 were designated to people. Well, I was one of the people that had one of the sets. Right. And so surprisingly enough, I have a lucky program for every card. How's that? But, (laughs) you know, you'd go up, and those were in the days when I'd go up to the the program guy and I'd buy 15 or 20 programs because, you know, I'd have one for my collection and then I'd send the others out to my uh, wrestling friends wherever and get the programs from their territory. Right, right. So when I'd go up to the table, I'd get my 15 programs and – Kenny or Sammy, those were the two guys that sold them in Minneapolis, St. Paul. He'd reach under the table and he'd whisper to me, he says, "Here's the dinger." So that's the one that I keep aside. All right, well I get my tickets. So I had free tickets for 20 years. By the time we got to 1986, I had started to falter on going to the matches, and I basically gave up my ringside seats because right. it was starting to, you know, the business was
3: changing.
0: Well, they have Wrestle Rock, big show at the Humphrey Methods, and I was not going to go to that card, and if I had to go to it, it was going to, I'd have to buy a ticket. Well, here's the deal. The ringside seats for that card were $100, and that was in 1986, April. And, I mean, that was phenomenal. Here I'm raising my family. I'm taking $100 for the wrestling ticket. There ain't no way. I'm not going Forget it. Well, then they announced Rick Martell was going to wrestle Harley Race. Now, Harley hadn't been here for 15 years. When I heard Harley Race, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to that card. I took 100 bucks. I paid $100 for that ticket, and I was never sorry I did. Harley and Rick put on a good match. But Harley Race was the guy I bought the ticket for. And on that card, we had Nick Bockwinkle, we had Wahoo, we had Sergeant Slaughter, we had Ganya Blackwell, fabulous ones. I mean, names all over the place. And Carly was the one that got me to buy the ticket. Hmm. Who told that to anybody?
1: Hmm.
3: Well, George Jones, a country star, had a great song years ago, Who's Gonna Fill Their Shoes? Oh, sadly yeah. there's nobody to fill the shoes anymore. Uh, and you know
0: what's really sad is that in the past couple three years the the deaths and it's expected, I mean the guys are getting up in the years and stuff, but there have been so many and one after the other. And for me when uh the, the last few years when we've lost Vern Gagne and Waltz and Mad Dog with and Nick Bachwinkle and Larry Hennig and Harley Race and Dr. X, Dick Byer, and it just goes on and on. And I've I finally kind of come to the realization that my era truly is over. Yep. And, you know, and, and there's just so many others that i loved over the years. I mean, we had less on the phone. God, I love that man. I mean, you know, and he worked in the a w a he never got a, a big push here, but he worked here in the in the sixties with Roger Kirby, they weren't together, but they were in and out, and I mean, I love all these guys, but uh, all of a sudden, you just realize that the train has left the depot,
1: and yeah,
0: yeah,
3: as my buddy Bo James says yeah. it's not mm-hmm. nineteen seventy two anymore
0: well to me it's not nineteen sixty anymore,
3: yeah. Well, uh, so I went to my well, God, I went to my here. first.
1: Go ahead, Bob.
3: I went. I was just going to say, right quick. I went to my first match in February of 1964, and uh, uh, my friend here in Atlanta, Chuck Thornton, who you may know, George is probably probably the foremost historian on Georgia or Atlanta wrestling of anybody I know, and uh, he brought me a window poster from that oh. first card I ever attended as a child. And uh, I don't have a lot of wrestling stuff hanging in my house, but I do have that poster framed, and it's down the hall here. And uh, I just uh, I showed it to my son. It's not gonna mean anything to any of them. They they don't. But uh, the four names that it shows are are Fritz Von Erich, Lorenzo Perini, Joe Scarpa, and Stan Stasiak, and it says plus three other matches. And and as I was showing it to my son, I started crying. And he said, "What's the matter?" And I said, "I just realized." I was able to work with all four of those guys before they died,
2: Not that wise?
3: so so I've had a blessed life and uh you know i just
0: uh well i got I, you I got you beat by a few years on that uh first card that I totally remember attending. mine was in august of fifty
1: seven
0: uh, and uh, it had a heel tag team mainly the Kelmakoffs against Shibuya and mitsuerakawa. And Vern Gagne was against okay. Carl Stunny. Okay, like I'm not sure how pronounced it, but that was Clyde Stevens.
1: Oh, we Steve, had yeah.
0: Scott, Joe Pazendak on the card, Red Bastine. Yeah, okay. And it's interesting because, like you, I mean, I never worked with those guys in the ring, but I got to know the Kilnikoff, Ganya, obviously Red Bastine back and George Scott. Got to know them all. And when I look back and I think, God, I was just, you know, what, six, seven years old when that card took place. Yep. Then I was talking with Greg Ganya a few years back and Greg told me that that was the first card that he ever went to with his dad. And we talked how we were in attendance at the same code. Mm-hmm. And Greg said that after the Kelmikovs an Arakawa Shibuya match was which was heels versus heels that Greg told his dad after they came back in the dressing room I guess all the guys were bloody which I remember them being and Greg said to his dad he told me he says I told him I'm never going to become a wrestler <laughs> so.
3: well we're blessed our heroes became our friends very blessed
0: that's something, that's something that is, is so rare and you know, it's kind of funny too, I, I've told so many people over the years when they say, well, how did you follow that stuff? And they'll even say, you watch that 40 stuff, you know, and they'll give you this line. And And I tell them a lot of times, I say, you know, if I were to sit down with you and start going into my childhood and how how it wasn't a good place in my world, the way my, my childhood was, and then I, I can tell you that wrestling – when I found it, I was addicted to it. It became my life. I enjoy it, and I'm honored that I've been able to be around it. Amen. And I honestly believe that I wouldn't be here if I wouldn't have found it. And I wish more people could find something like that. Maybe we'd have less you know, violence yeah. in the world, drug addiction and
1: yeah. everything. Amen. Because
0: I tell people, I'd say it was a drug. I took a drug. Yeah. It, was, it Amen. was I started drugs started traveling to the different territories in my teen years time driver's license any I could drive to Indianapolis or Kansas City or Omaha Nebraska you name it I did and you know I I did it because I enjoyed it and it was a drug that I never got high on except emotionally high
1: yeah
2: well guys we're going we're going to that's a good way to to end the program because we are absolutely. absolutely out of time, George. I appreciate you joining us. We've got to have you on here more often.
1: But, uh, I apologize. Your, your, for being your a schedule. Ready,
2: okay. Oh no! Oh no, yep. no problem at all. No problem at all. I'm glad you were able to join us. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, all we had to do was let Les talk. We'd have been fine. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, anytime you want me on to talk about a topic, we can do it. I love doing it, and
2: uh, I always all look right. forward to you guys. All right. Well, Bobby, we'll. Uh, Jerry said uh, he would definitely be with us the next go-around, so I'm not sure when right. that will be with the holidays coming up and everything, but we'll, we'll get together here in the next uh, few weeks, and we'll do this one more time.
3: All right. Sounds good, man. Good night. Thanks, George.
2: Good you night. night. God Thanks, bless
0: you. Good, good night. See you. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to Georgia on History.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more.
4: As always, we thank you for your continued support. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com
2: It's my little escape.
4: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
4: Whoa, take it easy, Judy.